making electric trucks is producing some interesting partnerships. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking, Season 7, Episode 4. With medium and heavy-duty truck electrification, we're seeing a unique alignment of traditional truck manufacturers, Tier 1 suppliers, and startup companies. As a group, they are simultaneously competing and collaborating on the advancement of truck electrification. We have companies that just a few years ago were literally building electric trucks in their backyard garages, now developing trucks for the parcel delivery market. We have two Tier 1 suppliers, Dana and Meritor, going from axle, brake and driveline suppliers to providers of full electric powertrains. And we have the major truck manufacturers working alongside Silicon Valley startups. Can all these diverse interests play together in the same sandbox? Meritor's Vice President for Global Electrification, T.J. Reed, has an interesting vantage point. He's working directly with both the startups and the major OEMs. In just a moment, T.J. shares his thoughts on this singular moment in the evolution of truck manufacturing. This episode is brought to you by Fleet Safety Experience, a powerful digital gathering for the fleet safety community. Presented by Automotive Fleet, Work Truck, and Heavy Duty Trucking Magazines, the 2021 Fleet Safety Experience takes place virtually September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Go to fleetsafetyconference.com to learn more. Good morning, TJ, and uh, how are you doing? Doing well, Jim. Good to be with you. Great to have you on HTT Talks Trucking. Uh, before we get rolling here on this uh, whole question of OEMs versus startups and, and how they all play together in the same sandbox, where is Meritor in all this electrification story? I mean, we don't normally as- associate Meritor with uh, with powertrains, but apparently that's all going to change. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting and exciting time really as the industry begins the, the transition. I think you'd know Meritor is a 109-year-old industrial going back to the Rockwell days, but uh, certainly focused on the commercial vehicle market and a market leader in, in drive axles, steer axles, drive lines, and brakes. So yeah, we're making that transition from a drivetrain supplier to a full powertrain supplier uh, when you look at uh, electric axles. So you know, where we are in the journey, we began a development activity about five years ago as really we started to see, like the rest of the industry, this, this transition. And we developed our first early concepts of a, an electric drive axle, really with the concept of taking the traditional axle, as you know it today, um, the axle housing and nesting a, 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 a power-dense motor and a multi-speed transmission into the carrier so made for a, an elegant package. It fits in most suspension profiles and, and, and vehicles that are on the road today. Uh, so uh, we are getting ready to, to go into series production with that product later this year. As part of that journey, uh, certainly a lot of, of key activities on the development side and also uh, on the acquisition side. We acquired a company called TransPower um, in January 2020. And TransPower's focus over the really the last decade had been the development and deployment of heavy-duty uh, battery electric and fuel cell commercial vehicles. So we really got an opportunity not only to help expedite our capability and development um, of our e-power train, but also a broader understanding of uh, what I would call the electrification ecosystem and all the stakeholders involved. So it's been a, a pretty fast pace. I think uh, just like the rest of the industry, we've been learning a lot, uh, engaging new partners, you know, old partners, but uh, we're all kind of moving the ball forward together. 
Well, it's fascinating times, and, and it's interesting to see companies like Meritor and, and some of your you know tier one competitors getting into this space now. You're taking your established expertise and and relying, in, in your case anyway, on outside providers for the electronics and the electric stuff, uh, whereas you know building axles is something you've been doing for decades and are very good at it. So you're, it's not really a big stretch there for the company, is it? No, and it's, you know, I think at, at the fundamental level, it's understanding uh, your customers' requirements, understanding uh, the markets and duty cycles. You know, as we talk commercial vehicles, uh, they are unique. We have industries within an industry and uh, a broad product range and a portfolio that suits all of that. So that's been really part of our, our focus is applying what we have in the global Meritor toolbox. And obviously then bringing in the power electronics to that, but really using the same world-class processes um, and, and development activities and really expertise in the supply chain and, and aligning a lot on our customers on, on what they're seeing and anticipating and wanting in the market and kind of bringing all of that together to deliver a compelling product. Okay. So where is electric truck development today? This is July, 2021. Um, we've seen... Uh, you know, trucks that are actually in service now in, in, a, in a limited way. But could you just give me a sort of a 20,000-foot view of, of where the development process is at this point in time? Yeah, and it's, um, it's an interesting look as you look at the horizon. And we really kind of break it down into three distinct phases. And phase one, what we would call is more the prototype grant um, demonstrator phase, Um so you saw a lot of the OEMs um, really uh, leveraging some, some unique opportunities with uh, demonstration grants and key learning programs. Um, mainly for the most part, you saw these in California, but an opportunity for the OEM uh, tier ones, fleets, uh, infrastructure providers, um, dealers and others put a low volume uh, number of vehicles out in the field basically to learn. So they certainly weren't at um, production maturity. It was, uh, let's get some concepts to the market and find some early learnings. So I think you, you pretty much saw that from every major OEM uh, over the last two years. And I think we're beginning to exit that phase. And now you're starting to see phase two, which is low volume production. And so, you know, not going into a scenario where we anticipate the market tilting to 90% uh, zero emission adoption, but for key um, early adopting segments, um, products being uh, released to the market that have gone through that next level of validation by the OEM uh, might be a bit more narrow spec uh, offering than what you would have for the full portfolio. But again, that'll continue to build momentum uh, until we get to w- what we would call then phase three, and that's kind of full out series production where the, in our view, you have kind of the three legs of the stool um, all uh, all up and uh, the, the reliability, durability, performance of the product is there. So certainly there's a, a good, uh, uh, I would say, performance for the customer. It pencils out from a total cost of ownership. And then lastly, you know, the last leg, but probably the most critical one is infrastructure. So the vehicles in operation obviously can, can charge and you have a power source. So um, your guess is good as mine when that phase three actually kicks in. I think it'll be a transition. A lot of things need to happen. But uh, it's exciting now as we kind of view our, our transition from phase one into phase two and, uh, and in putting a, you know, the next level of production uh, product into the field. Well, what, makes it in, what makes this particular stage of development interesting is we've got 
the Tier 1 and traditional OEMs, you know, the Daimlers and Volvos of the world to name two. We've got uh, Meritor and Dana who've been playing with the OEMs for decades. And now we've got all of these startups coming into the market and uh, foreign companies, Chinese companies that are bringing product to North America to try and get into the market. So it, it's, it's a different uh, environment now than it would have been uh, 20, 30 years ago when we were starting to work on these low emissions diesel engines. How is the presence of those startup companies and, and foreign competitors going to impact the way uh, electric trucks develop? Well, it's it's an interesting dynamic right now. And at Meritor, we have a unique perspective, again, being the, an established tier one in the space. But we are supporting uh, startup OEMs. We are supporting our traditional OEMs that, that obviously are, are driving hard in their zero emissions technology. Um, and then also, too, as uh, we're building basically full turnkey vehicles through our transpower operations, we're working with supply base around the globe that we typically haven't had. You know, they're not a Meritor Rolodex for our traditional products. So it's, it's certainly um, interesting, but I would say it's, it's um, driving a lot of innovation. It's driving speed. Uh, we, we certainly need all of these partners engaged in, in providing solutions. Um, and I think, um, you know, for the most part, you're, you, you do have a, a different, I would say, a decision set and, and a lot of new players involved. And uh, you've got kind of two, I would say, sides of the coin, you know, as the organizations and people that are new to the commercial vehicle industry are trying to understand, you know, back to, as we said, what are those customer requirements? What are the unique needs of a commercial vehicle um, in application? And then on the other side of the coin, uh, what are the unique operating requirements and, and things that need to be understood and capabilities gained on on uh, zero emissions technology? So those two come together. But uh, you kind of see this uh, uh, growing, I would say, uh, group within our industry, and which I think is pretty exciting. It's going to kind of lead us to a to a faster adoption here. Are you competing with, or are you partnering with some of these new companies? How do you, how do you see that relationship? It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. So, you know, in some cases, you know, as a powertrain provider, uh, we're supporting startups, but we're also supporting additional OEMs that we've we've been working with for decades. Um, and in some cases, we we are partnering. So we have, you know, as I mentioned, different partners or stakeholders in the ecosystem. So other battery suppliers, we're not in the in the, in the battery business. We're we're a drive system provider. So uh, we certainly partner with with folks on that end with all the other accessories. They're a customer to us um, and uh, and a supplier at the same time too. So um, yeah, so sometimes it's a, a bit unconventional of what the role is, but um, you know it, it really has established new relationships uh, between organizations and people. That's a really interesting dynamic. How long can it last? I mean, there's a limited number of OEMs. Uh, there's a limited number of of uh, places to put all this new technology, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Um, can we all survive in this market or, or is there going to be some consolidation at some point? Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, history will be a guide here and it's an exciting time. And I think you see the new entrants because they see the market opportunity. Whereas, uh, you know, in the past, you know, before this tectonic shift in technology, it's probably been cost prohibitive to enter a, a market with firmly established uh, players. But, um, you know, now at the end of the day, um, our market is very efficient. And, uh, you know, I think over time, the best ideas, technology and execution will win out. So, um, 
you know, I, I think for the most part, you know, what you see now are very well capitalized uh, organizations and companies that, that have unique technology, a lot of different ideas on how to solve the zero emission uh, question here. And uh, now, as you know, I think that's another interesting aspect as we get into phase two and more real world learning uh, of the performance of these vehicles. There will be winners and losers. So in my view, yeah, absolutely, there'll be a consolidation, but I think it's going to drive innovation in the near term. Well, when we talk about innovation and technology, those are all sort of relatively hard things to think about. Uh, hard is infirm, not not difficult. Uh, but we also have this interesting blend now of, of corporate culture that's probably quite different if you talk about, you know, big automotive and Silicon Valley sitting down together to design a truck. How is that going to work? I, I think it's uh, it's going to be beneficial. And uh, again, when we're driving as fast as we are uh, as an industry, um, you certainly have to be open to new uh, concepts and development. You know, when you come from the, the software development world, so agile development, moving fast, failing early, um, and then on the, the traditional vehicle side, now that these are business tools, we certainly need to have a good experience for our customers, a very robust validation plan that uh, certainly tackles a lot of the most aggressive duty cycles that uh, you can think of. Those two have to come together for the final output. So I think it's, uh, in my view, iron sharpens iron. And uh, again, as I mentioned, I think we'll come out of this probably more competitive. Culturally, it's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, you, You've got very, I would say, robust processes that, that most automotive companies follow that have been successful. Um, you can also argue that uh, those might be a, a little bit too uh, rigid um, for what we're trying to do here. But I think at the end of the day, this, the same requirement is there to deliver both safe, reliable products to customers. So as long as the output is met, uh, I, I think it'll be a, a kind of a beneficial way that we get there together. We're speaking with TJ Reed, Meritor's Vice President for Global Electrification. When we come back after the break, we'll talk a bit about the kind of truck that might emerge from such an interesting parentage and whether these new trucks will be on the market before we have the electric infrastructure to support them. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, drop me a line at jpark at truckinginfo.com. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking. Fleet Safety Experience is back. It's the virtual version of Bobbitt's popular Fleet Safety Conference. This year's program looks at managing high-risk drivers, the relationship between technology and safety, coping with a fleet fatality, and more. The NTSB's Rob Malloy delivers this year's keynote presentation on crash investigation and highway safety. Fleet Safety Experience is all about improving safety for light, medium, and heavy-duty vehicle fleets. Go to fleetsafetyconference.com to view the full agenda. We're back with T.J. Reed, Meritor's Vice President for Global Electrification. Most of what we're seeing so far uh, is a traditional sort of chassis, you know, cab frame, uh, box on the back, fifth wheel. Not much different from a diesel if you looked at it from 100 feet away. But when you add an electric powertrain, it, it opens up all sorts of doors for, uh, you know, redesigning that traditional truck. Do you think some of the startups are going to bring some new and innovative ideas to the table or or why maybe uh, have the traditional OEs not expanded into what I would call a non-traditional chassis yet? Or are we ever going to do that? Yeah, and I think it's a timing question. And uh, yeah, to the first part of your question, you know, from a startup that's 
basically starting with a white sheet of paper. They're, they're, they're not supporting an internal combustion engine product today that even well into the future is going to be the vast majority uh, of the mix. Um, so obviously to develop a brand new platform that's purpose-built, heavy R&D, heavy investment in tooling, um, a, lot of, a lot of lead time to that. And uh, it's probably more of a question on the business case of when, when does the volume match up with the market um, opportunity and, and when do you introduce that? So it's not maybe an if, it's a when, but back to the, the new entrant, if they have that opportunity as a white sheet of paper, um, you know, raising a lot of capital, a lot of cash on the balance sheet, um, uh, and to have that opportunity to design a purpose-built, I think that might spur, um, you know, bringing forward purpose-built vehicles. Because if you can deliver, you know, better aero performance, better ergonomics, um, you know, better range, because you can package, you know, unique concepts with the battery system on the vehicle, you're going to have an advantage. So I, I'm excited to see how that unfolds. I think we'll start to see more and more concepts. Um, but uh, if you think about just the traditional form factor of a commercial vehicle today, obviously we've, we've moved heavily towards aero when it comes to uh, GHG, but is the conventional, you know, 120 plus BBC as we know it, will that change based upon really the architecture of the drive system is it's no longer in the hood, right? It's, it's, it's somewhere else in our case, it's actually uh, where the traditional axle is. So there's opportunity there. It's just a matter of my mind, um, when the volume catches up to, to justify the cost. You know, the arrow is still going to be important, especially in the long haul side. <clears throat> you don't want a flat box going down the road. That's going to tax the battery system a little bit further. For all the reasons you just said, uh, they all make complete sense to me. Is there any reason why we couldn't, uh, aside from what you just said, uh, build an entirely new truck here that looks totally different from what we've expected over the past 20, 30, 50 years? No, I don't think so. I think... Um you know, it, it is a kind of an evolution that we're seeing right now, you know, with with uh, the majority of the marketplace out there having to support multiple, you know, I would say emissions technology, lest they be clean diesel, uh, near zero natural gas or now battery electric. And then obviously we'll be talking about hydrogen in the coming years as well. You've got to have a platform that's pretty universal at this point. So I don't think there's anything that's keeping us. It's certainly a, a challenge for uh, engineers in the industry to try to find something that's cost effective that can suit all of those. Um, but yeah, I think the same underlying requirements are going to be there. Yes, we've got to limit drag. We've got to have great aero performance. You've got to have uh, certainly uh, weight needs to be managed, cost. And, uh, you know, throughout all of this, uh, what improvements can we make for the drivers? You know, early learning from these phase one programs that the drivers absolutely uh, feel it's a, a superior experience compared to an internal combustion engine. Um, so it, it's something that uh, now when we're not encumbered by other things, what, what other features can we add? Um, it would also not only, I'd say, from a comfort perspective, but increase productivity for the driver. Okay. Um, you talk about getting a new truck to market, uh, getting it to roll under its own steam. That's one thing. You know, we, we have a working truck. I'm talking more about the startups here, if you can share a bit of perspective on this. Uh, there's all kinds of safety standards that have to be met and durability testing and validation on a five to 10 year life cycle. All those things are enormously expensive. Can the startups afford to be doing that? Or is that why they're they're trying to get as close as possible to the OEs? Yeah, I think a little bit of both, but I would say all startups are not created equal. You see significant amount of, of funding being raised in the marketplace. And 
and, and a lot of that is going into the R and D and validation, which is absolutely critical. Because, um, as we know, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a what I would call a table stakes requirement if you're going to be one of those companies that that make the consolidation. Right, you have to have reliable, durable product. And there are some basics that need to be done too, and that's just heavy fixed investment in capital. Um, so I think you know I think what you're seeing in the marketplace for those that are raising the significant cash, they're they're absolutely planning for that, and you see that as as just overarching kind of a a, a fight for talent in that regard. So back to this, I would say confluence of expertise in the automotive space and specifically in commercial vehicles. Yeah, a lot of those folks are joining these startups that that have the technology, but maybe not the complete know-how and deliver it to the marketplace. Um, so I think to answer your question, absolutely, it's going to be a vital requirement. And those that will be successful will certainly make sure that uh, they they aggressively pursue those steps. Well, you know, the funding is, is not going to last forever, uh, presumably. The investors will start putting some pressure on any company to start producing or revenue, uh, the established folks, the OEs and the tier ones, obviously you've got all your other product lines to, uh, to keep the money coming in. Uh, but these guys, the startups are going to have to start selling these things at some point to start recouping some of that money. Uh, is that going to put some pressure on them to get a product to market maybe before it's ready or the market's ready for it? Well, it'll be something that will, uh, I, I think be, um, manage well by the marketplace. As you know, fleet customers are very sophisticated. They take their time in evaluating uh, and testing product before they put it into service. So, uh, you know, I think very early in the process, they would identify if any shortcuts are taken. Where to me, it all comes down to is, you know, back to the three legs of the stool. If, if infrastructure or one of the other, I would say, product-related items aren't there, that it's going to be a challenge for the market to adopt. And there are I would say challenges and benefits on either side. If you're a startup that you do not have to support an existing product or vice versa, for example, you know, with a, you know, a, a strong portfolio on the existing product, you know, obviously you're generating cash to help your investments. Um, but on the other side, uh, and, and maybe you have a little bit of time to pace the adoption, right? You, you've got some optionality there. And on the other side of the coin, you're, you're pretty holding to the, the pace of the market. And, and certainly, I think a lot of the mission of these startups certainly are from, uh, from a climate change view, want to drive this adoption as soon as possible. I think we all want to do that. But there are, uh, I'd say, uh, you know, hard realities in the marketplace that need to happen first. So, um, you know, I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they solve all, all of those items in the equation to make sure it can get to, mar- to market sooner. Uh, but yeah, there will be pressure. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's going to be a, a macro-driven issue. Supply chain concerns out there right now on batteries. Um, we've got a lot of testing to complete. The uh, TCO equation, I think there's promise, but it hasn't been validated where fleets know exactly what their cost position is going to be. Big questions on infrastructure with the grids. So a lot of, uh, a lot of problems need to be solved before we get to that point. I think so, yeah. I'll talk to you a little bit about infrastructure in just a minute, but I wanted to ask you, what's important to the end user? I mean, we've got all this new product potentially coming to market. Uh, fleets are going to have lots of choices. What do they want in, in an electric truck? Uh, and, and where is the market going to make sure that that gets delivered? 
Yeah, at the end of the day, it's still a business tool that has to return, you know, have a positive return. Um, and so I think, you know, back to that measured approach, uh, you know, it's been pretty important in these early days on these demonstration programs for the fleets to get a perspective on what's the impact of their operation. Um, you know, that right now it's um, at this point been kind of lacking a bit of data. So it is a bit of a balance where, hey, I would like to get uh, equipment in my hands so I can actually uh, either test it on specific lanes uh, and specific applications to understand what it means to, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my service network, how I support the product, um, how I support my customers. On the other side, too, it can't be so nascent that, uh, you know, it's failing all the time. But I would say there's a bit of understanding that it is it is new technology and it's uh, certainly not as refined as diesel technology that we've been working on over the last 100 plus years. So there will be some early growing pains. So it's a bit of a balance. But I, I think at the end of the day, the expectation and the desire is to see continued progress. They want to see progress on uptime. They want to see progress on, on costs coming down, better understanding on what's required from a service and maintenance perspective. And then outside of the vehicle, just a much better understanding of the cost model. Um, so certainly they can plan their business effectively. Yeah, the cost model is certainly lacking at this stage, isn't it? Yeah, you need data, right? <laughs> Got to have data, so yeah. It's, um, you know, pretty complicated operations. And uh, uh, again, I think that's why it'll be a pretty measured approach um, within kind of this phase two window to get as much learning as possible. And, and we're all learning together too. So I think that goes... Um, you know, into a tier one supplier as well. We capture that feedback from from customers, um, either what they're looking for from the performance perspective, how we might want to tune this equipment for the drivers, things they would like to see from a service aspect. So it's it's something that we're all learning relatively quickly together. Well, I'm a little worried from where I stand and, and what I read and write about Worried about the timing on all this. It appears to me that the industry, uh, tier ones, OEMs, startups, are doing a better job of developing and getting this technology ready for market than the infrastructure is that the you know we're going to need to to power these things. Could we be in a situation where we're all dressed up with nowhere to go if we have all these trucks ready for market but don't have the infrastructure to power them? Yeah, it's going to take some work, but but I think uh, again back to a very efficient market. I, I read something uh, yesterday in the trade press that just the charging infrastructure itself will be a hundred and thirty billion dollar business in in by twenty twenty eight, right? So there will be a, a significant amount of players that will address this, but it's a timing aspect. It takes a while um, for infrastructure programs to be moving here, and obviously a lot of debate. Um, at the federal, state, local level on, on how you fund these things, private, public, a uh, lot of money being talked about, but ultimately you have to have shovels in the ground and, and get moving on all of this stuff. So I, I think it's certainly, uh, we're trending in the right direction. Those things seem to be uh, in a position where there's a want. Uh, I think we'll continue to debate on how we pay for these things, but it will take some time. I think we've seen parallels in, in natural gas infrastructure, at the end of the day, you're competing with uh, very efficient clean diesel and, and, and uh, uh, near zero natural gas where that's starting to build up and the, the, the consumer has options in the market. Um, so it's just a matter of, I think, just this catching up. But what I'm continuing to see progress here, I think industry groups um, and even the companies that are supporting this, the OEMs are 
developing uh, uh, expertise in consulting services. They're working with their dealers. They're working with fleets, with uh, the utilities. And uh, so it's good to see as an industry we're tackling this, but we still have a lot of work to do. When do you think we're going to start to see uh, trucks on the road routinely as a matter of course, no longer in pilots and trials? It's actually out there earning, earning money. Yeah, I think it'll come in it'll come in degrees, right? You'll start to see in you know what we would call these beachhead segments um, that make a lot of sense from the application. So, if they're close to home, have opportunity to charge overnight, uh, shorter range. So certainly from uh, you know a refuse perspective, um, that's definitely a segment that we see as as a potential early adopting and, and a lot of activity there. Um, pickup and delivery, um, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense as you're looking at the last mile. So it's more, probably more class four, five, six. Um, and then drayage applications, certainly a, a significant desire in the ports um, to dramatically cut emissions. There's a, a large amount of funding available for that. Products are available. So I would say you would see that. But when you're talking you know, from uh, a regional hall, line hall, the majority of the of vehicles that we would see in the field, I think that's going to be a be a while, be the latter part of the decade, and then that's where it gets interesting with fuel cell. Um, certainly, from a range fueling time perspective, weight uh, that talk, technology has a lot of promise. Um, I, the takeaway for us is there's not going to be one silver bullet solution. There's going to be multiple, and really, have we developed our products? We want to make sure we're what we would call energy agnostic. So. Our electric drive axles will pretty much work with anything and scale from class four up to class eight. So I think the market will be in position. It's just the economics and and duty cycles will, will make sense in a few uh, early adopting segments. And it'll take some time as we get into line haul, which is the vast majority of the volume. Yeah, I think we tend to think of trucks uh, generically as line haul or long haul over the road and uh as you said, that's probably going to be the last segment to really embrace this in a big way because of the range limitations, et cetera, et cetera. We all know that story. It's going to be an interesting 10, 15 years for sure. TJ, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and uh, uh, giving us your perspective on this and talking about the relationship between the big guys and the little guys. Yeah, exciting times. Appreciate the dialogue. And uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting decade. That's for sure. Talk to you again soon on this here. I hope. Take care. Take care, Jim. If you're a fleet safety and risk management professional, be sure to add Bobbitt's fleet safety experience to your fall calendar. This virtual event features educational sessions and expert insights to help solve your fleet safety challenges. Fleet safety experience takes place virtually September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Go to fleetsafetyconference.com to learn more. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please spread the word on social media and give us a review and a rating if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. If there's something you'd like us to cover on HTT Talks Trucking, email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.